he did he did teach me something very valuable that you know obviously you work hard you do something you like it just happens and, and that's what happened hi i'm matt mckee i created cherry bomb in the sweet blast series of limited edition photos with the mission to start conversations in the room about the bigger topics of food art and sustainability this podcast is the companion piece to that project where I get to share with you some of the discussions that Sweet Blast has inspired. Today's guest is world-renowned Boston chef Paul Damore. He opened up Massimino Boston in the North End in 1989 with his father. He's won second place on the Italian show Little Big Italy Food a couple years ago and won Best of Boston by Boston Magazine. And he's currently working with both the restaurant and virtual cooking classes, which have attracted a national following. Paul, welcome and congrats on all the hard work you You've done. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, you shared with me earlier that you dry cure your own meat, you make your own wine, as well as run the restaurant yep. and virtual cooking yep. classes. It sounds like you are always yep. busy. It's funny you say that. A lot, a lot of people say, where do you find the time? Well, I'll tell you how I find the time. I have plenty of time, actually. You know why? It's a lifestyle. So I don't, uh, you know, people say to me, oh, your job. I've, I've never worked a day in my life. Um, I love what I do, right? So when I when I go to Masmino's and you know I go shopping for the food, I mean that's fun. And I go there and I set up for the day the menu items, creating dishes. It's fun, right? Sure. I dry cure my own meat. When I have nothing to do, I go make some meats. You know, I make my wine once a year. I jar my tomatoes once a year. So um, uh, it's a lifestyle. It's part of what you do. It's part of who you are. It's a part of it defines it defines your role in uh, society. Uh, and my role in society, I believe, is to bring food to the masses teach people how to make that food, teach people how to make wine. And uh, so I do all of the above. That's that's what I do. I'm either cooking for somebody at the restaurant or I'm showing somebody how to cook now virtually. Uh, I do a lot of stuff in person too. And, and then, uh, you know, we go ahead and fill all the all the voids along the year. You know, during in the fall, it's we make the wine. Uh, in the winter, we dry cure the meats. In the spring, we revisit the wine again. And then in the summer, you know, we jar everything that we have handy, you know, everything from tomatoes to uh, whatever I get out of my garden. And that's it. And then it finishes with the picking of the wild mushrooms in September on oh a rainy gosh. day. Uh, so Ed, it sounds like you, um, yeah. obviously, you you live in a space where you have room for a, a mm-hmm. large garden enough to have tomatoes and things like that. Where, where do you live? What what kind of a home? Yeah, so I live 30 miles north of uh north of Boston. And uh, I live in, in, a, in a town that uh, affords me to have animals. So I raise every year, I'll raise actually a year and a half, I raise a cow. So I, you know, I have my own beef. Um, I don't slaughter anything on my property, just because I love animals. So all the beef that we have in my house is, you know, from a cow that I raise that I make sure it gets uh, strictly grass or alfalfa hay, the best hay you can buy. Very, very little grain. It only gets, gets introduced to grain for the last 30 days for mobilization purposes. Uh, I have chickens that make eggs year round, so I don't buy eggs. And, you know, and that's a big, big part of uh, everybody's diet. I have two children who eat eggs every day. I eat eggs a few times a week, not as much. And the list goes on. Yeah, we just whatever whatever you can make. You know, I, I live in a wooded community, so I go into the woods in, in, in the uh, rainy days of September. And I have certain trees, certain oak trees that produce the same mushrooms every year. And I know exactly where they are. And I go pick these big, uh, they call them um, chicken hen, hens of the wood. It's a big, big mushroom that grows on the side of an oak tree. And then I jar them and... I have wild mushrooms. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. That sounds wonderful. Well, yeah, you, uh, Fun. 
managed to uh, answer the first question I was going to ask, which is why do what what is the reason you get up and cook every day, and what drives you to be creating? You obviously have a very strong relationship with food. How did that start? My dad, prior to Massimino's in 1989, had another restaurant called Sorrentos which was also in the North End. And I worked there through high school and in college. I went to business school, Northeast. And when I was 13 on a Friday night, my father said to me, he goes, I'll be right back. And that was the beginning of my my business slash uh, chef career. He didn't come back. He went home. And for the next, how many years, let me to run the restaurant on a Friday, Saturday night at the age of 14, at the age of 15, at the age of 16, I was managing a staff of 10. And I was this little shot dude that was running a full-fledged restaurant. Back then, I thought it was normal. But, you know, I think back now, having, you know, a 10-year-old and 8-year-old, to put them in that position, wow. But he did he did teach me something very valuable that, you know, obviously you work hard, you do something you like, it just happens. And, and that's what happened. You know, I went to business school. We opened Massimino's because of the love of food, because of the love of the business being in it all my life. Are your children following in the footsteps? So I have two boys and I have one that's super, super interested. He's a foodie. You know, they both they both follow uh, my footsteps in terms of everything I do, winemaking and jarring and all that good stuff, um, taking care of the animals, you know, picking eggs. I think Massimino is going to follow my footsteps. He's, he's a foodie. I think he he's a business guy. He kind of likes it. He talks about it a lot. So I'm hoping he does because you know, I got a great little spot in the city and it'd be awesome if he you know continue the tradition. So hopefully, yes. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. I have two boys myself and they, while they're not following me in the photographic traditions, they're both being very creative and entrepreneurial and got actually most of their education, I think, not from school so much as by following their passions down the YouTube rabbit holes and learning how to work on computers and cars and things like that. Have big hopes for them too. Love that. When did you start doing the uh, cooking classes? So I've been doing cooking classes for a very long time, but obviously in a different fashion, you know, basically before a cooking class would consist of me going to someone's home or someone's office. And, you know, I would show them how to cook. And uh, just about almost four months ago, I had a, a customer said, you know, I want to make meatballs. I'm like, OK, come in the restaurant. We'll make meatballs. So I made the meatballs and we did it in the restaurant. It was it was good. They loved it. And uh, the same person called me back. She goes, oh, I want to learn how to make homemade pasta. I go, well, you know, the date that you want to do, it doesn't work for me at the restaurant. I says, why don't we do it from uh, you do it at your house. I do it at my house. We'll use Zoom. She's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And I did it. And I said, oh, my God, I think I have something here. And that's how it started. And my next class that I booked was uh, was a class of uh, 13 people, nobody from Massachusetts. It was all over the country, which was like, okay. And that's when my the light bulb, you know, rang because I was thinking, you know, I'm a restaurant guy. I think 30-mile radius, you know, 30-mile radius, I'm going to grab my customers. My first 10 classes, no one was from Massachusetts. Oh, my goodness. I said, oh, my God, my reach is anywhere. So I have a big following in California. I'm actually doing a, a class uh, a class of 20 on Friday from uh, California. I did a class in uh, Ireland and London uh, not too long ago. So it's word of mouth spreads, right? Their friends see it. They tell their friends. They're all over the countries, even in other countries. So it's it's interesting how it's working out. I think there's a whole new model for education going on right here. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. And, and what I'm doing, so I'm, I'm fine-tuning it along the way because I'm trying to figure out. So what I do basically when I, when I, when I, we have these classes, we cook together. So I cook, they cook. I walk them through it. I cook ahead of them. I'm able, just because I've been doing this all my life, I can look and see where people are at to fix them, make it right, whatever. It's all good. At the end, everybody's making some beautiful dishes, so I'm happy. But, you know, I fine-tuned it along the way to make it so it's a really, really, really 
good experience because you know the feedback that I've gotten from people that have taken my class like oh my god you make it cooking look so easy and I I'm, and I say cooking is easy cooking is anybody can cook you just need to follow certain steps directions and a little bit of passion into it so that's the first thing I say when I when I start my class is okay just remember we're gonna have fun it's all about having fun and if you just kind of follow the steps and and, and think about what you like and what you don't like and that's what you put into your food it's going to come out good. And then I and I tell them, you know, plating is super important. The presentation of food is probably more important than cooking the food because uh, what it looks like is important. When you look at a pretty dish, you want to eat it. When you look at a dish that's just been just something you slop on a dish, you don't want to eat it. It's not fun. You know, we work on the art part of it because cooking is an art. No question. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, in full disclosure, I also uh, had some training in a kitchen, actually worked in a kitchen up in Booth Bay Harbor many years ago. And okay. that was one of the things they stressed more than anything else was, you know, the same food goes out, two plates exactly the same, but one looks better than the other one. That's the one right. that people are going to rave about. The other That's ones are right. not going to. If you had to sum up what the core would be that you want your students to take away from these cooking classes, uh, what would it be? Um, to have fun with cooking. You know, really, really to have fun. And, and, and cooking is not for everybody. You know, and I see that, you know, I'll see, I would say 80% of the people who are doing these classes with me really want to learn how to cook. They're going to be good at it. And the other 20%, you can tell they don't want to be part of this. If You know, it's kind of like you have to really put your heart into it for it to come out good. Cooking is not something that you can just close your eyes and just kind of whatever. You got to really, you, you got you to put a little something into it. You know, you got to put something into it. Absolutely. And for those who don't don't want to embrace it or they can order takeout from Massimino. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly off uh, subject, but Suzanne, I think, was hinting to me that Massimino is during this pandemic period has transitioned a bit in terms of takeout. And is that able to, to ship the food even further or yes. how does that work? Yeah. So what I did the day that the pandemic started, I never forget it was a Tuesday and I'm like, oh, my God. Where were the people? My staff's looking at me and I'm looking at them like, what are we going to do? So they kept asking me and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, wait a second. I think I got to figure it out. We're going to deliver. Like, we don't deliver. I said, we're going to figure it out. And so we, I created a model, a delivery model that delivered in a 40-mile radius. Okay. 40 miles. 40 miles. I can't get the guy I can't get the guy down the street to deliver me a pizza because he's the next town over because we're right on the line. Right. Exactly. 40 miles. 40 miles. So what I did is I guaranteed the customer the food be hot on their doorstep or they don't pay. That's the first thing I did. And then what I did is I I, I picked an area and I happened to pick the north of Boston because it's what I'm familiar with and I broke the days down into towns. So every every day I would pick three to five towns and only deliver to those towns. I gave them a window to order, which was nine in the morning and two in the afternoon. Everybody had to pre-order. And then at 2.30, all my drivers would leave. I had up to seven drivers and they would just basically attack these towns. And I would deliver hundreds and hundreds of dinners a day. I mean, it was insane. We were never so busy during the pandemic. When everybody was closed, I guarantee you, I did so much business that people couldn't figure out how much business I was doing. They were like, we're not doing any business. You are. But, but I, I had to go out of my comfort zone, right? I had to redevelop myself. I had to make things happen. And it was very complicated because I basically turned my restaurant around into a new model. But it worked. So for that three-month window, it was really, really good. Then when the economy opened back up and everybody opened back up, my delivery business went back to almost nothing because you know people had choices. 
they could have went next door and got food as opposed to mass meals not then. And they went to their, you know, they supported their locals, all that good stuff there. So at that point, uh, we went to back to, you know, the restaurant operation and we built our business slowly going on the up, on the up, on the up. And as restrictions were thrown at us, you know, it would set us back a little bit. Needless to say, you know, now we're at the point where we're starting to see life again. They've opened up the restaurants where people can come in, they're six feet apart. Uh, they wear masks, which is great. I'm, I'm good with that. We have our full, all our hours are back. So I think with um, with everybody getting the, the shots and, and we approach herd immunity, I think we're going to be okay in, in the long term. And then once everybody's back, I think that we're not going to have enough room in the restaurants to feed these people. <laughs> I know there's going to be a backlash where everyone's going to be mass exodus to go to restaurants. So that's so that's interesting. So and, and again, my love is my restaurant because I have a nice, I have a cute little restaurant. It's two floors. It's not big. It's very, it's very has a lot of personality. So I look forward to that. But you know, with this virtual cooking, you know, I always said to myself, "Wow, I would love to do something where I had no one else involved, just me, nobody else." Well, you know what? I think I found it because. I love cooking so much that I want to be part of everything. Like, I actually want to chop the onions. I want to peel the potato, right? I want to fry it. I want to do everything. So when you're in the restaurant business, you have somebody who peels the potatoes for you. You have somebody who chops the onions for you. So basically, you kind of put it all together, right? Comes out great. It's a team. Wonderful. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with that approach. But it's fun to, like, start from the beginning, you know, making desserts all over again. Like, I teach people how to make desserts. I don't make desserts anymore because my staff makes them. So now I'm making desserts again, right? And I'm making new desserts because I'm, I'm, I'm having to teach classes and I'm like, okay, what new dessert can I show somebody to make? So it's kind of like it's it's reinventing myself again. It's uh, rejuvenating my love for food, you know, because I got to a point where my restaurant pre-pandemic, you couldn't, you know, Monday, Monday, seven days a week, we're busy. You couldn't sit down. It was just crazy. Always busy. Right. Yeah. So you don't have time for anything else. You have no time to to say, okay, well, maybe I try a different purveyor, or or maybe this, or maybe that. You were like, no, we're gonna go on this track because we have everything. Let's keep ro- repeating the process. That was one of the things I was gonna uh, actually comment. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, one of the yeah. things that I. I enjoyed cooking before I had gone into the restaurant through culinary school and then uh, getting out and, and working in a restaurant. And I enjoyed cooking, but when I got to the restaurant, it wasn't cooking anymore, at least not the way I thought of cooking, which was, okay, let's experiment. Let's throw a little bit of this. Let's throw a little right. bit of that and we'll see what happens. Right. It was much more of, you know, this this is the menu. This is, you're in charge of the fry station. You have to do the fried clams and, and right. make the lobster right. rolls and whatever we were doing. Mm-hmm. And you would be making 50 of them in a night and it wasn't as much fun anymore. Exactly. So it sounds like you're rediscovering the, the joy of it. Yes, yes. I mean, plating. I, I've never had so much fun plating. I love to plate. I think that's... My, I love plating food. I've been taking, you know, I take my time. I have certain lighting that I have now and I take the pictures so you can really see the food. It's like, you know, when you're in the restaurant, you're too busy. Everything's going fast. You know, you don't have time. You're like, take the camera, take a picture. One, two, three. Now it's like, mm, I move it. I'm like, oh, let me move that pepper. Fun. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Looking into the future, looking into the far future, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, um, family guy that loved what he did. Simple. Renaissance qualities. Definitely Renaissance. Definitely Renaissance. Yeah. Now, uh, so you're not no longer doing takeout at the restaurant, I know. We're still still doing takeout and we're still doing delivery. 
Yes. So, so just still to the 40-mile radius or, or closer in? Well, actually, my radius is now 30 miles. I've opened it up. Um, so what I'm doing now is I do a seven-day delivery, and I pick certain towns that I deliver to. So only those towns. The reason being is that they just it's the highest demand. So I'm assuming Dedham is not one of them at this point. No, we're not in the start show, no. <laughs> with real times, you know, you have to deal with traffic. This, the logis- yep. Logistically, becomes harder. During the pandemic, there was no traffic, so you could go anywhere. So you, 40 miles would take 30 minutes. Yeah, definitely. You would sent something else over in your bio that I thought was uh, not only are you a renaissance man who who makes his own wine and, and smokes his own meat, but you are also a rodeo person? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a professional rodeo cowboy, so I compete. I have been competing for many years in the uh, rodeo scene as high as Canada, as far out as Ohio, pretty much half the United States, all the way down to Florida. Oh my goodness. I'm having a hard time in my head kind of balancing the two two sides of you. Yeah. So yeah. So I'll tell you the background of that. So I grew up in a poor family and in the summer times, my, my mom and dad worked. So they would send us children to Italy to the my grandparents. My grandparents had a farm and my uncle, he, uh, he had horses. That's what he did. And we, he had cows. So in the summertime, what I would do is basically he put me on a horse with no saddle and I'd move cows around all day. So I, I grew up loving it, do, wanting to do it. And just went to a rodeo many years ago, watched it happen and started as a hobby, uh, became a lifestyle, which it is now. And uh, that's it. Something I love. I love animals. You know, I, I live in a ranch. I have cows, horses, so I actually practice at my house, and it's uh, it's it's a big part of my life. Not not many people know about it, just because it really doesn't fit with the whole scene. But the subculture is really really big. Uh, the original Western cowboys was weren't they basically based on uh, the Italian cabaleros? That's right. Yep. Yep. This is a random fact pull out of my head. Good, good facts. Spaghetti westerns were all filmed in Italy. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. the good stuff. Wow. I think we covered everything that I was planning on asking you about. Anything that you want to add? Uh, I'm going to give you a little tour of my, uh, my wine cellar to show you what I do. All right. Yeah, yeah. I walk you through it verbally. How's that? Basically, uh, in my wine cellar, underground, so it's thermally cooled, which is really, really nice. So right now, the temperatures are just about 62 degrees. As it gets hotter outside during the summer, my, my cellar actually becomes cooler because of thermal energy, which is pretty awesome. But I'm going to show you what I do. So you walk in here and see these are my dry cured meats right here. So I oh, dry, wow. kill, dry kill my own cabigolo, kill my own prosciuttos. So that's a prosciutto that's uh, two months old. This is a prosciutto that's five years old. Five years old. Yeah. How old does it need to be? Uh, you can eat a prosciutto within three months, right? But right. this one here is is my prize and joy. I've been working on this project here. You know, usually they don't last this long because you want to eat them. But this one is all covered with mold, which protects it. Chardonnay. I make a Pinot Grigio. I got a Spumante that I'm working on right back there. This is my coat. So if you look at, um, we talked about earlier, the wines that I make. It's a Sangiovese blend that I make. Uh, Sangiovese old wine Zinfandel. Pinot Grigio. Yeah, these are the stainless steel vats. How many gallons are those? These are 300. 300. Okay. 300. So this here is my COVID wine, I call it. This is a Cabernet, 100% Cabernet. Um, made it during COVID. Yep. Everything's pressurized, so it stays good. Wow. I make uh, those are my stuffed peppers. I stuff those with uh, prosciutto and cheese. These are the tomatoes that we talked about earlier. My goodness. You know, so basically, yeah, everything we talked about is this is what I do. Are you planning on doing like a class on perhaps the smoked meats? I, I am. So I'm doing a, uh, in September, I'm going to do a three-part series class on winemaking. So because when you make wine, it's uh, three pots. So I'm going to uh, have the three pot series. So you can either join for one or join for all. Then I'm going to do a, uh, I'm going to do a tomato class, jarring tomato class. That'll be in, um, 
in the summertime and the cured meat one I'd like to do one but I, I, I might have I might have missed the window on that there just because the weather's against me right now but I'm gonna have like a sausage making class so basically you know what people ask me is what I do because a lot of okay. times what I like is not what people want to see <laughs> so uh, where can people find out about the the classes uh, I'm asking mostly for myself yeah yeah they can go to massiminosboston.com um, and uh, everything that I do is on there so my my uh, virtual cooking classes, they're on there right now. And I do a drop-in class every month. So at the end of every month, I do a drop-in class virtual cooking. So that allows someone that does, doesn't want to plan, doesn't want to be with a group, just wants to do something on a Friday night. Last month, I did uh, an arancini class for February. My March class is going to be a lasagna class where I'm going to teach people how to make a lasagna from the beginning to the end. Um, so once a month, I'll do something neat. And that okay. usually draws a whole bunch of strangers together. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That is fascinating. <laughs> Paul, thank you very much. You're welcome. That was very educational. Uh, and now I want to go to your wine cellar and I certainly want to uh, sample some of your food. Um, I wish you were delivering to Dedham. That would yeah. be... Uh, uh, me. I'm not far away. Uh, we're, we are actually planning on it. My wife and I have both got the first shot. We're just waiting for the second shot. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, that's what a lot of people do. When people with the second shot, everybody's getting them, then they're coming out. Perfect. Thanks for checking in with Cherry Bomb, the podcast, the companion piece to Sweet Blast, which can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. Cherry Bomb, the podcast, is produced by me with consulting help from Suzanne Schultz and Canvas Fine Arts. Cherry Bomb and Sweet Blast can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. Please like and review this pod so others can find us, and let's start the conversation. Just a really quick note before your auto feed refreshes to the next episode in your queue. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe picked up a new tip or a concept, there are a couple ways you can help us keep creating it. Click on the link at the bottom of the show notes for buymeacoffee.com slash Matt McKee. Coffee is life around here. Also in the show notes is a link to theartofmattmckee.com where you can browse art from my Sweet Blast, Promethean Dreams, and Tool series of portfolios, as well as others. Get some art for that special someone in your life. And if that special someone is you, don't feel guilty. It should go without saying, you deserve nice things too. And last but certainly not least, share this episode with your friends on social media. Let them know you enjoyed it. And then you can start your own conversation.